Let's bow down our heads and pray. In the next minute, in other tongues, I want us to just begin to pray in other tongues and open our hearts to the Lord for the seed of his word. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies. In the name of the Lord Jesus. So crotein baladabashetis. Kiro mashata monde brefitis. Lord, we give you praise. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hallelujah. All right, I feel like Pastor has said everything I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, in, in light of the same direction, maybe the only thing you'd have to say against what he said is that he didn't open the scriptures. <laughs> so we'll just look at a few scriptures, especially in light of what he was talking about in terms of tithing, you know. There are a lot of things that, there are a lot of teachings, a lot of doctrines that are attacked by the, please, can you hear me? You can't hear me. Hallelujah. Better. All right, yeah, so when you look down the history of the church, there are a lot of things that, a lot of doctrines, a lot of teachings that have been under attack. One of such, for example, is, you know, speaking in tongues, you know, had been under attack. And usually it is instigated by the devil because it is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. You know, and one of the other things that has also been under attack is tithing, you know, tithing. And in recent times, we hear a lot of uh, conversations about how tithe is not a New Testament doctrine or teaching. I don't know if, is there anybody who has been a witness to anything like that? Yes. But we want to look into the scriptures. And like Pastor was saying, you know, in, in, in Isaiah 51, the Bible says that we should look to Abraham from whence we were hewn. We should look to Abraham from whence we were hewn because God and Sarah who bore us, because God called him alone and blessed him and increased him. So God gave Abraham as eternal pattern for us to follow. You see, and God in his redemptive plan for man, in reinstating man and bringing man into that original purpose for which he created him, was looking for a man. And then he found Abraham. And he went into a covenant with him and said that, I was going to bless you. Leave your father's house, your brethren's house, and then I'm going to bless you and I will make you a great nation. And I will make your name great. He said, anybody that blesses you, I will bless him. Anybody that curses you. In other words, curse in the Bible means to make light of something or to make anything insignificant. Anybody that makes you insignificant, I will curse the person. And he says, through you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So from 
that statement, you would realize that God wanted to do something global with Abraham. And then God made that covenant with him. And so even though there are various covenants in the Bible, uh, you know, the Adamic, the Noahic covenants, and then the old covenants, which he cut through Moses, there are covenants that were eternal covenants. That means those covenants were not restricted to specific dispensations. They cut across for eternity. You look at the covenants God had with David and then germane in the eternal covenants is the covenants that God had with Abraham. And God sought to do something eternal with Abraham not, that will not touch only Hebrews or Jews but will touch everyone in the world. Hallelujah. So we want to follow that pattern and then look at this issue of tithing uh, in the scriptures and see what God, you know, can teach us from some of these things. I, I feel like the crux of the message, Pastor has said it. So let's just, uh, you know, in the, old, in the Old Testament, after they harvest, there was something that they, they called, they glean the field. That means the leftover, <laughs> you, you just glean it like, like uh, what's her name? Ruth did. So that's what we want to do. We just want to glean the le leftovers from the main cracks. Hallelujah. So are you with me? Yes. Yeah, so please let's journey together in the word of the Lord and see what God is going to show us. So we are looking at Genesis chapter 14. And in Genesis chapter 14, we are going to look primarily at verse 18. verse 18. And what I'm looking to do is to help you see that when we are studying the Bible, we have to understand that first of all, the scriptures is revealing Christ, Jesus Christ as the king and then his kingdom. You see, so when you are looking at the scriptures, you are looking to find Christ and to, and to look at how he runs his kingdom. And so when Jesus was speaking to the Jews, he said, you search the, the scriptures in hope to find eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. And then on the road to Emmaus, the Bible says that he began to expound the scriptures from the law to the prophets. And he said, they are they that testify of me. When he left, left to meet the other 11, he also said that the scriptures from the law to the Psalms, to the prophets, they all speak and testify of me. So we need to see Jesus. And that's what, how Paul studied his scriptures. And that's the pattern that we are also going to follow. Another thing we want, want to see also is that tithing is a kingdom reality. It's a kingdom truth. You see, so God's kingdom is an eternal kingdom. And tithing is a truth that relates to that. And we want to see that. And also see how tithing also is relevant according to the new covenant. Hallelujah. All right. So this is what we are looking at this morning. Now, in Genesis chapter 14, verse 8, 18, the Bible says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest 
of the Most High God. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, this is a very interesting part or passage of scripture. When you read from Genesis chapter 14, verse 1, you will realize that there were four kings, four Babylonian kings, and there were also four, sorry, five kings, Canaanite kings. Now, the four Babylonian kings, there was one that was called Kedolauma, Kedolauma, and these other five Canaanite kings were subject to him or were servants, servant kingdoms to his kingdom. Actually, when you look at the, the curse that Noah pronounced on Ham, he said that Ham's descendants, which is Canaan, was going to serve Shem. And when you trace the lineage of these Canaanite kings, they are traced from Shem. And the Canaanites from Canaan, of course. And so already by the decree of Noah, they are going to be subject and servile towards these kings. And that was what was happening. But the Bible says that they reigned over them for 12 years. And, and, and in fact, it's interesting. The number 12 in the Bible usually speaks of government or rulership. And the Bible says in the 13, 13th year, and 13 also speaks of rebellion because outside the government is rebellion. So in the 13th year, they decided not to be under the reign of this, you know, Babylonian kings. And if you are subject to a kingdom, I'm sure most of us can relate with this. If you are subject to a kingdom, what, means, what that means is that you are paying tribute to that kingdom. You are paying tribute to that kingdom because you recognize that kingdom as superior to you, as more powerful to you, as one that can dominate you at any time. And one from whom actually you have military might and help from. So this situation already is presenting five kings that were subject to these Babylonian kings. And when you read the, the, the passage in Genesis chapter 14, immediately they decided to rebel and leave his kingship. They got angry and then they began to you know, attack these Canaanite kings. Now, what was happening was that they were, they were so powerful and strong. These were four kings. That means he had other allies. They were so powerful and strong that any city that came across them, they were just pillaging them, just conquering them one after the other. Even to the point where the, the Rephims, the Rephims and the Zamzumims, the Zumims, these are tribe, Canaanite tribes that were giants. You know, the Bible speaks of Og, that his bed was as long as nine cubits. Nine cubits means this length of my hand nine times. And I tried it, I tried it one time, and I think I, around the set, I reached the ceiling of my room. You see, so you were looking at people who were, you, you, you literally look up to. These were giants. But these kings were so powerful that they conquered all of them. Even to the point where they got to these Canaanite kings, Sodom and Gomorrah, you know. And, and in fact, when you look at 
the, the names, and you will see it in, in Hebrews chapter 7, Paul used Melchizedek, the meaning of his name, to interpret scripture. So one of the ways you can even interpret scripture is by understanding people's names. And even the names of the king of, the king of uh, Sodom actually meant son of evil. And the king of uh, Gomorrah meant one who is with iniquity. And actually, the names of the places that they were ruling were all names attributed to judgment. You see? So, unfortunately, Lot found himself in this battle, in this wrap-up, because he had left, he had become so prosperous, his, his cattle, his headsmen couldn't, you know, one, one geographical location couldn't locate, uh, contain them. He had to break away. And then he declared himself independent. And when he declared himself independent, he looked at a land that was so green like the Garden of Eden. And then because he was moved by his sight, he chose that part of the land. And the name of Lot actually means covering. That means according to God's mind, According to the characteristic of who Lot was, he was supposed to be undercover. He was supposed to be covered. And that was what Abraham was doing in his life. Immediately he came out of that covering. Immediately he, he left that subjectivity, you know, to his authority. He now found himself in the land. And then because the people came and pillaged Sodom and Gomorrah, they took all their spoils including Lot and all the plenty possessions that he had amassed for which he left Abraham. That means the covering that was ordained for him, he came out of it. God had ordained him to be covered. And that means, that tells us a lot that in God's mind, there are associations that keep you covered. There are associations that keep you safe. There are associations that guarantees your safety and your wealth. Once you come out of it, that's your end. You see, so he became a victim of this war and they carried him away. But Abraham being so gracious, or Abraham at that time, the Bible says, and that's how powerful God had made him. You know, he left uh, to Egypt around the time of famine. And the Bible says, he went there because of famine. But God revealed himself to Noah, sorry, to Pharaoh, and then said that this man is a prophet. Don't even touch his wife. And after that, the Bible says, Pharaoh gave him cattle, silver, gold. And in Genesis chapter 13, verse 1, the Bible begins by saying that, and Abraham was rich in silver, in cattle, and in gold. And according to Genesis chapter 14, he had about 318 people that were under him. 318 people, slaves and servants who had become, he had actually trained to be warriors. And these are the people he used to go after these kings that had come for his nephew. Are you following? Yes. So he goes after them, and the Bible says he went all the way to Dan. They had gone so far, but I don't know how he did it. He caught up with them, and then he spoiled them. He had other allies like uh, Mamre, you know, Anna, who helped him, conquered all these people. And the Bible said, actually, these guys were lords, including Abraham. But this is what I want you to, 
to notice. When he conquered all of them, got all those spoil, that means he got the spoil of Sodom and Gomorrah. He got the people that were captured as slaves or captives. He got that which belonged to Lot and also got Lot himself. That means he was coming with a lot of bounty. But then when he came, the Bible says that when he came, he was met by Melchizedek. And then the Apostle Paul helps us to show us who, give us light as to who this Melchizedek is because he says that the name Melchizedek actually means king of righteousness. And then he was the king of Salem, which means the king of peace. And that was a prophetic shadow or revelation of Jesus Christ, who is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Because the Bible says that of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. In Zechariah chapter 6 verse 13, you look at Jeremiah chapter 23, he's called the Lord our righteousness. And he's, he's portrayed as the king that brings righteousness and judgment. So he meets in Genesis 14, 18, he meets Abraham and he's coming with bread and he's coming with wine. So what I want you to notice is that Okay, let's read Genesis 14, 18. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which had delivered thine enemies into thy hand. So he is meeting a royal, he is meeting a king. Now, it might appear when you read it, really, it might appear as if this is the first time he's meeting him. But the mere fact that he gave him a tithe shows that there was a certain relationship that Abraham had with this Melchizedek. It wasn't the first time they were meeting. Now, when he meets him, the Bible says he brings bread and wine. What he came to do was actually to refresh him with the bread and wine because he was coming from war and then he was depleted in strength and vigor. So the Bible says he meets him with bread and wine. The exact symbol of our holy sacrament, the holy communion, as the high priest. Hallelujah. Now, this Melchizedek, the Bible actually shows us in Hebrews chapter 7 that he is a type of Christ, a type of the king priest, that Christ who is actually seated now as the king and priest of the kingdom of God. And anytime actually in the Old Testament, God's idea was that the high priest, there wouldn't be a king and then there would be a high priest. God's idea was that they would be merged into one. So when you read in Acts chapter 23, for example, in, in uh, uh, Leviticus 8 and 9, actually what the heart that the high priest wore, the, the mitre was called the holy crown. So when we talk about high priest, we are dealing with someone who is not just a priest ministering to God, but one who is also a king. A ruler of thy, he said, don't speak vile against the ruler of thy people. So high priests were rulers of, their, of, of, of people. So Jesus Christ is our heavenly high priest, and then he is presenting bread and wine. These are symbols of his ministry. 
You see, because Old Testament priests, they minister bulls, goats, sacrifices. And because those ministries could not take away sin permanently, they had to do it over and over again. But Jesus Christ, as our high priest, had to do it once and for all. Now, when, what he was presenting to him was actually symbols of a life that had been sacrificed. So what he was showing him was bread, which is his body, and wine, which is his blood. What he was telling him was that a sacrifice has taken, somebody has actually offered his life so that you, from the spores of war, you'll be refreshed. You see, so Jesus, in the same way, presents his body and his blood to us, showing us that he has given us his very own life, not just what he has, but his life. And he presents this thing to him, the Holy Communion, and I, I don't even want to get ahead of myself because when Jesus was presenting the Holy Communion, he said that the, the cup is the new covenant in my blood, the new covenant. So even in this very act, you are seeing something that speaks to the new covenant, something that is done in the new covenant. So he presents this th thing to him. One, the blood for the remission of his sins, and then the body that is broken so that his body will not be broken. He will be strengthened, revived, and energized. Hallelujah. Please let's go back to verse 18. Are you following? So his first encounter, he was showing him what? Life, that, actual life that has been offered. Then he says that, and he was the priest of the most high God. He was the priest of the most high God. Now, the statement most high God, El Elyon, means that he's the highest of the highest. That means he offered his priestly service to the ruler that was the highest of highest, the king of kings and lord of lords. No other monarch, no other king had power and authority than this one. In Psalm 47, I believe, Psalm 47 verse 2, the Bible actually shows us that he uses the same term most high. So, so that when you see most high, you are seeing one that has to do with the a seat of government that is the highest, the most exalted. That means whether king of Babylon, the Canaanite kings, this, this Melchizedek was representing a kingdom that was the highest of the kingdoms. It says, for the Lord most high is terrible. That means he, he, is, he, is, he is to be revered. He is a great king over all the earth. So we are dealing with somebody, a king, who was a great king over all the earth. That is typifying our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, so he portrays himself to him as the most high God. That means he was given a revelation of God to him. These, all these things happened before he gave time. He was given a revelation of God to him, that he's the most high God. You remember in, in Isaiah 14, the devil said that I will ascend above the clouds and I will be like the most high. In fact, I will set my throne in the, in, the, in the sides of the north, you see. So he was attempting to do, uh, <laughs> he was attempting to do the impossible with the possible, you know, because that, at that height, if the hand of God is there, either if it is by your own instigation, it will just hit you down. But if you submit yourself into that same hand that was supposed, it will just pick you up and bring you there. So the position that he sought to have 
was what God has given you and I in Christ Jesus, that he has picked us and set us on the most high seat. So this is the revelation that Abraham had when he had an encounter with him, that there has been an offering, somebody that has given his life, and then there is also one who sits on the most high seat. Hallelujah. I hope you are following. Then verse, verse, verse 19 of Genesis chapter 14. It says, And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the most high God, possessor of the heaven and the earth. We saw that he's the king of all the earth. Now his association or he's associating Abraham with the most high God, possessor of the heavens and the earth. One who has the heavens and one who has the earth. And this is the kingdom that Jesus acquired. This is what Jesus took man and brought man into. Even though man was given dominion over the earth, he brought man into dominion that was dominion that is connected to the heavens and the earth. And that's why when he was, after his resurrection, he said, all power and authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. That means you are going therefore in the power or authority that is given me in heaven and in the earth. Now, the question I want to ask you is this. If, and the Bible says he blessed him. He blessed him. And isn't it interesting, when Jesus was ascending, the Bible said his hands and he was blessing the disciples. As he was, the last imagery they saw of Jesus, the high priest, going up was one that was blessing them. The last imagery that he, he saw, God commanded the, the priest in the Old Testament to bless the children of, because they, had the, they were custodians of the blessing. So he commanded them to bless the children of Israel and said that the Lord bless you and keep his, make his face shine on, on you, isn't it? We, we sing it all the time. And be gracious to you. You see, but under, that was under the old covenant's blessing. Under the new covenant blessing, God is not just blessing you and making his face shine on you. Under the new covenant blessing, he said he has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So you are not working as one that is now looking for a blessing. You have already been blessed. And then he's not, his face is not going to shine on you because the Bible says that God who commanded light to shine out of he himself, he didn't delegate it to anybody. The one who commanded light to shine out of darkness, he himself has shined in your heart to give the light of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, so what the, the insight and revelation that Melchizedek is bringing to Abraham at this time is so vast and it's so deep, it's so dense, it's so rich that what is it? What, 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 how can you compare giving a tenth to somebody that has already offered his life to you? Somebody that has offered his blood and his body to you. Somebody that has brought you in association with him and has made you sit together with him, associated you with the authority of heaven and earth and has blessed you on top such that now you are so united and connected with him that even the blessing is now coming, is he God shining out of you. You see, so when you understand these things, you realize that it wasn't, a, it, he did it by revelation. Giving a tenth was the least he could have done. It was the smallest he could have done because he had insight of what God had done. He didn't come asking for, he, he came with the blessing first. This is what I've given you my life. So what is one out of uh, 10 to you? 
if you would give it to me. And I was saying that he, this isn't the first time he was meeting him because this man is a king. And don't forget that the, the Canaanite kings were getting independence or they rebelled from the Babylonian kings. What that meant, meant was that they were not going to pay tribute to them again. So, in actual fact, when Abraham was given tithe, or Abraham then was given tithe to Melchizedek, what he was saying is that just like these people were under a certain kingdom and they were paying tribute to them, I also am under Melchizedek's kingdom, and therefore my tithe is my tribute to him. In other words, he was saying that my tithe is a tribute that I don't depend on myself. My tithe is a tribute that my riches and my, my wealth doesn't come from me. My tithe is a tribute that this man has already blessed me. My tithe is a tribute that he has already given everything he could have possibly given, his very own life. That is why I'm giving a tenth to him. So, the reason why anybody would want to hoard is because you don't lack revelation. It's because you don't lack revelation. And it was in the breaking of the bread that the Bible says those disciples, their eyes were opened and saw Jesus. And then he disappeared. A revelation that caused people who had walked about seven miles to that same night. They didn't rest. They walked back to Jerusalem. That means if you have revelation of Christ and what he has done and his kingdom, you will be energized to give more, more than you can imagine. If you see that he is the one who has blessed and he's the source of my blessing, that means my dependence is on him. If I have zero in my account or my pocket right now, it doesn't mean I don't have money because I feed from the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Then he, please give us the next verse, please. He said, blessed be the most high God, which has delivered thy enemies into thy hand. That means even the victory that he, he chalked, it wasn't because he was so powerful and strong. He said, it was the most high God that gave the enemies into your hand. So God, God has also, through Jesus Christ, has given all our enemies into our hand. The Bible says that the, he has... He actually, he has sat down as our Lord high priest and he's stretching forth his legs, waiting that we, his body, will make all his enemies his footstool. He's waiting for all of us to make his enemies his footstool. So if you have this revelation of Christ, there is nothing that you can give that will be too much. You are, you are paying tribute to that. This is the kingdom I'm associated with. This is the kingdom I belong to. This is my source. Hallelujah. So we, 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 we are, this is an attempt to take every veil that is causing us to, to, to hold back. That such that a tenth is the least we, we could even do. A tenth is the least we could even do. And when you continue to read, the Bible says that when the king of Sodom said, Abraham, give me the persons, take the goods thyself. And this is amazing. The king of Sodom came and he didn't say, give me the, the goods. He says, give me my, my people. That means 
even as, as terrible as he was, he saw value, value in the people more than the goods that he, ha- he had lost. He says, give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And when you continue to read, he said, no, I wouldn't even take even a thread or a shoelace from you, lest you will say, I have made you rich. Lest you should say that I have made you rich. You see, so, and this is very powerful because if God doesn't help us renew our way of thinking and then we, we, we latch onto materialism and material things over the necessity or the resource of people, we have shortchanged ourselves. Because even Satan was willing to offer all the kingdoms of this world with his riches so that Jesus Christ will bow down to him. He was willing to give him all of that. So don't be amazed when people go to voodoo and all those things for money. He, he, he knows the value of human beings more than material things. So he was asking for the persons. You see, because once you submit, you, if we have the person, we have his money. We have his resources. And that's why in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Bible says that the, the, the people in Macedonia, they even gave in their poverty. They, were, they, they didn't have anything, but they were, they were begging Paul and the other apostles that please take our money and go and give to the, the, the saints in Jerusalem. They were begging them, even in their poverty. Why? Because they had a certain revelation of the grace of God. And then when you read down to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, the Bible says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. A lot of believers quote this scripture, and their attention is on you became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. But God has already sorted that. The grace he was talking about there, Time will not allow us I, 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 to read the whole scripture. But the grace he was saying was that he was, caught, he was referencing the people in Macedonia to the Corinthians that look at them. These people have now pa- have participated in a certain grace such that even in their poverty, they have something to give. And he says that because they have known the grace of our Lord. What is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? He had every wealth you can imagine, but he gave all of it to you, so that he will become poor and you will be rich. And that was the grace of God he was talking about. The grace to give selflessly. And it's a grace. And when you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9, sorry, he talks about another grace. This one is the one that we all like. The, the grace where he is able to make all grace abound to you. All grace abound. But the first one, we usually don't like it. The grace where even in poverty, you believe that you have some. So they don't give us an excuse that nobody has nothing to give. Everybody has something to give. Because in their poverty, they gave. And it's, it's beautiful. It says that once you do this, God is able to make all grace. That means once you participate in the grace to give selflessly, God will make every grace abound to you. Whether it is the grace of healing, whether it's the grace of teaching, whether it's the grace for wealth, which he says he's able to make all because you have proved yourself to be faithful. You, you have proved yourself to be someone he can trust. Because he says if you have been faithful with, with unrighteous mammon, 
If you have been faithful, you are faithful with it. He said he is faithful in much. That means the variable between much and less might be changing. But the person has become a kind of person mirroring God. Because the Bible says God is faithful. No, if he says that he is faithful, that means this guy has bought into God such a way that now he is mimicking the faithfulness of God. So that the variables might change. He might have more. He might have less one time. But the constant is the kind of person he has become. The constant is that he is faithful in little, he is faithful in much. So whether, it's like what Paul said, he said, I have learned a secret. He said, I have learned a secret. Paul was a custodian of secret. No, no wonder he prayed in tongues a lot. He said, I have learned a secret that even when he's abased or even when he's abound, he's able to survive. Why? He said that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He was not looking at whether he was abounding or whether he was abasing. He was looking at the resources of Christ. And when we say Christ, Christ is a throne. It's, a, it's an administration of a government. That means his eye wasn't on whether I have many or whether I have little. My eye is on the administration I serve. They are the ones that are furnishing my supplies. He, he was buying into the riches of glory by looking at Christ who gives him capacity. And that's why he I've learned a secret. I can do all things. So the fact, if God asked Paul to do something, he won't look at whether I have $5,000 or whether I have 300 Ghana cities. He says, I can do it because there is resource from the throne room. The riches in glory. He said, that, that was a secret that I learned. That was a secret that I learned. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's able to make all grace. I always wonder that God loves everybody, but why would he say that he loves cheerful givers? I always wondered. Because cheerful givers, when God sees a cheerful giver, he sees himself in you. And he wants to associate himself. That, that, that's what happens. So I, I, I recently read 2 Chronicles 1.6, and then I was amazed at how Solomon offered 1,000 bulls. And the Bible says in the next verse, God appeared to him in his dream. He offered thousands. And God, what, what God saw was that this guy estimates the, the, the offering of my son. Thousand bulls. Somebody could have given hundred, two hundred. But he had a higher estimation of my... He saw himself in what he was doing. And that's why he swore to Abraham. He said in blessing... Because Abraham, before he, he showed us what God was planning, he bought into the mysteries of God and showed us what God was planning to do many, many years ahead of us. He showed it to him. God swore. He said in blessing, I'll bless you. In multiplying, I'll multiply you. You see, so God... I had many things to say, but I think I'll cut it short. I haven't... This is just the introduction and, and time... Time is up, so I'll just, I'll just cut it short. But God is, is, is planning to do something with us. You know, God wants to have us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Bible says they gave out of their poverty, and then they also were willing to give themselves. You see, so we can, tell, we can trace your commitments by how much you are given. If you are really given to this commission, you will be really committed because you, have, you, you will be here all the time. If, if, if your heart is in it, you are pumping your resources in it, you'll be here. You'll be involved in everything. Because not, he said, not only did they give what they had, they were even willing to give themselves. What do you want us to do? We are willing to serve. Because their money had gone. Because the movement, the movement of your money is a, 
it signifies the movement of your heart, the movement of your money. It signifies where your money is going. Where your money is going is showing us where the direction, where your heart is moving. So if your money is going to cook all the time, like I'm a culprit, <laughs> my, my heart, coke, coke has found a way to capture my heart. If your money is going to Bethany, that's where your heart is. Because your treasury, the Bible says where your treasure is. The word treasure actually means treasury, where you keep your, your valuable things. He said that means the position of your heart and your we, we can't find your heart somewhere, your, your resources, they are all in the same place. If we want to know the things that you valuable, the valuables you have, we'll find all of them in one place. We'll find all of them in one place. So in case you are struggling to love God, realize that at these days, Charlie, my for God, just just begin to write checks. Begin to be and just be pumping it towards the world. You will see that your heart, it will just follow. It will just follow that direction. So in case you are it's like, ah, my, my love for God is winning, you, you just, I've showed you a secret. Just begin to pump money into the thing. Your heart will move into there. Pump money into the gospel. Pump money into going to TV, going to radio. Do that. Partner the ministry or even ministries. You see that your heart will be for the things of God. Because the movement of your money is the movement of your heart. We can't deceive ourselves. We learn that God cannot be mocked. God cannot be mocked. There are a lot of things, but I just... But when you continue to read there, God wants to do something amazing. When you continue to read, like I was saying, God is helping us. That is not just about what you are giving, but you giving yourself. God is not interested in... Your money is, is a way for you to give yourself to God so that God can have you. So the same way the king of Sodom was looking for the persons and not the goods... When you move over to Genesis chapter 14 to 15, he said that the Lord came to Abraham in a vision and he said to them, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Just in case you are having any fears that these people that I have conquered, they might amass their strength, their resources, their weapons and come again after I said, I am your shield. Because you, you, you pay tribute to the most high God. That's why it says, he that dwells in the secret of the Most High, he shall abide under. There is a shadow there. There are wings there. There, there are executioners of judgment there. He shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. No wonder God revealed himself to Abraham as the Almighty God, the multi-breasted one. I have many breasts to feed every, every to nourish you, every need of yours. I have many breasts to feed it. Whatever need it is. You see, riches in glory. To meet every need, not just financial need, emotional needs, mental needs, relationship needs. He is able to meet all of them. You know, and then he comes to Genesis chapter 15. He says that I am your shield and I am your exceeding great, exceeding great reward. Simply, God was telling him that I am your pay, I am your salary. If you didn't take anything from the king of Sodom, he said, I am I, I won't give you pay, I am your pay. Jesus Christ. And just for you to note, when Abraham said that, I won't take anything from you lest you say I've made you rich. The word rich there is in the Hebrew is aser. And the word for tithe in Hebrew is maser. Maser. That means tithe, the word for rich, riches and wealth is in tithe. It's, 
I don't know how to even say it. You, you can't, con- it, the word for tithe contains riches and wealth. That means when you are giving tithe or when you are tithing to God, you're actually showing the source of your wealth. So he said that I will not, oh, I wanted to talk about the New Testament bit, but time will not allow me because he said, I'm your exceeding great reward. Let's continue wherever we end. We'll just stop. Your exceeding great reward. And then Abraham said something. He said, what will you give me seeing that I am going childless? That means, yes, I have shown your fa- I've seen your faithfulness in blessing me with gold, silver, cattle. I have many things. I've won battles. I've, I've been a victor in battle. But what, what will you give me? He, he wasn't looking for just that thing. He was looking for a person. He was looking for people. He says, what will you give me seeing that I go childless? And I have this Eliezer who will be heir of my house. In other words, at this point in time, he was thinking that Eliezer was the one going to inherit him. The blessing that God blessed him and said to come through you, you it will go through. Eliezer was the one. And that's not God's plan. And so God said, don't talk too much. You just come out of your tent. Because like inside your tent, the four walls of your tent is restricting your vision. So let's just come out of the tent and bring you outside and just look up. In Genesis chapter 13, he said his seed will be as numerous as the sand of the sea. But that was just talking about the, the seed of Abraham according to the flesh. That, that means naturally the Jews, the Jewish people. But now God was going to show him his seed after Christ. And he says, can you count the stars? Because according to the natural seed, they are earthly. But according to the seed Christ, they are heavenly. So they are in the heavens. You have to see them in the stars. He says, look into the stars. He says, so shall thy seed be. And the Bible says, Abraham believed. He began to count them, count them, count them, count them. And for your information, scientists are telling us that the, the, the grains of sand on the seashore, the stars in the galaxies are a million times more than the grains you can find on the seashore. Because it keeps expanding. The Bible says he stretches the heavens like a curtain. It keeps expanding. So what he was telling him is that your spiritual seed that will come through Christ will be more than your natural descendants. That's, and it's true. We are all part of it. And we are more than the Jews. All Gentiles are part of it. We are more than them. But God was showing him something. He was, the Bible says he believed and it was credited to him for righteousness. But God was showing him something. Can you give us Daniel chapter 12 verse 3? What God was showing Abraham was that I'm going to bring a people out of you that are not going to be earthy, but are going to be heavenly. And these people that are going to be heavenly, that means these are people that, you know, like, like Hannah prophesied, he said he takes you from, from the dust and from the downhill that he may set you among princes, that you may inherit the throne of glory. He was God wanted to do, what God wanted to do with Abraham was that pick people from their lowest state and set them in Christ to the the most high seat. And he says that they that be wise shall shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. That means I'm going to raise people out of you that will be brimming and, and, and overflowing with wisdom. Wisdom. From the administration of God's government. Because Christ has become our wisdom. And he says, they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever. So God was showing Abraham, your sons will be turning many to righteousness. That means your sons will be very influential people. 
will be dominating people. And that is what God is interested in. It's not just about what you are given. It's about the kind of person he has. So if you look at the parable of the sower, the seed was the word, but then he was sowing wheat, the seed. He scattered seed that were human beings and he calls them the sons of the kingdom. Sons of the kingdom. That means God can do more with us if we are willing to, not to be dominated by, by material things. Money, wealth, such that we cannot be liberal. We cannot be liberal. And just to close, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, like Pastor said, tithing is not mentioned because it is the least you can do. And that, that's why we have to have a revelation of the kingdom in which we belong. It's a new covenant of the spirit. It's a new covenant where he doesn't write his laws outside of you. He writes it in your heart. You see? And then he, you become children of God. And then he washes away your iniquities. And the Bible says your sins he will remember no more. That's the new covenant. And when you read Hebrews chapter 7, I was hoping we could have done that, but when you read Hebrews chapter 7, where Paul was likening Melchizedek to Jesus Christ, our current high priest, who never dies. That means the old, old high priest, they will die. That means you, you won't stop paying tithes because you are in the New Testament. He is ever living to receive it. And it is showing that you are subject to one that is greater than you. Because the Bible says that without any controversy or, or, or dispute, the, the lesser is blessed by the better. The superiority of Christ and his reign. It says, they that be wise shall shine. So God is looking for men and women who are going to shine. And if he, he is not Lord over our finances, there is no way he can use us. There is no way. He says that if, if you are not faithful with the unrighteous, he called God, he, look at Jesus' perspective on, on, of money in the Gospels. He calls money unrighteous mammon, and he calls it deceitful riches. That means money without God is trying to lie to you. It's trying to lie to you. He says, if... if you are not faithful with unrighteous man, then who will commit to you? There, are something, there is something like true riches. That is beyond financial wealth. You see, so I, I might not be on Forbes list, 100 most richest people in the world, but that doesn't mean I'm not participating in riches because there are true riches. The Bible talks of the riches of, of his grace in his kindness, the riches of mercy, the riches of his glory, the riches of people, human beings. You know, true riches. Riches, you are, you are just withdrawing from, from, you know, accounts that people who have millions and billions of dollars, you can give them something their money can't buy. Their money, because it's not everything that money can buy. And that's why he told Simon that your money perish with you. You can't buy the gift. It's too, it's, too, it's too valuable for you to exchange it with money. It's too valuable. So God is helping us. The least you can do is to give a 10. So God is helping us to commit our finances. And we all saw the statistics, you see. The least in the New, and that's why in the, in the New Testament, the Bible calls Barnabas son of consolation. Consolation is comforter. It means he had become, he had gone under the training of the Holy Ghost. He had, it's like the Holy Ghost had birthed him. And what the Holy Ghost would do was what he was doing through 
Barnabas. The Holy Spirit is a giver, and if he lives in you, he will give through you, you know. So God is trying to help us to be liberal, trying to be liberal. So when we talk about tithe, it's not, nobody forced Abraham to give to Melchizedek. It wasn't under the law, but it was because of what he knew and what he was associated with, he gave. So nobody will force you. It's not by compulsion. In fact, it is not accepted that way. God will never accept. Even in the law, God said they should give out of a willing heart. God gave them favor in Israel, gave them gold, plenty gold. The Bible says they had favor in the sight of the children of Israel. They, they spoiled them. They came out of Egypt with, with, with gold and silver. But because they didn't turn their heart towards God, they used that gold to build a golden calf, and they worshipped it. The Bible says covetousness in Colossians 3.5 is idolatry. The word covetousness there is philagros, which means love of money. He says love of money is idolatry. And the only way you can exempt yourself from that is to be rich towards God. Is to be rich towards God. So I'm just encouraging you so that we'll be rich towards God. Hallelujah. So that we'll commit our resources to the things of God. And what happens is that it's not as though you are, God has already blessed you. It's not as though you are given for God to bless. He has already blessed you. But when, once you grow in committing your resources with God, to God, what he does is he gives you, he just, once you are faithful with five, he begins to expand to 10 because he can trust you with more. So he's increasing you because he can trust you with more. Not because he's now blessing you. No, he, he can trust you with more. Hallelujah. So let's, let's make a commitment. Let's, you know, take action on these things. Let's plan our finances and make the kingdom priority in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.